Good evening, human friends, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we're smack dab in the middle of Mike's out-of-this-world triple feature and are discussing 1953's Invaders from Mars, directed by William Cameron Menzies. How you guys doing today? Good. Doing good? Yeah. Cool. Kids holding out? Sure. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess you're not good. Um, <laughs> well, so let's do, uh, like I, I was telling you guys before we started, I've got a lot of notes on the director and stuff, but I before we go into the boring stuff, uh, what were your preliminary thoughts? Uh, did you had, had you seen the film before? No. No. Okay. Had you heard of the movie before? Maybe, but I heard I've I've heard of this movie in the way I've heard of any sort of uh, right. It came from outer space. Yeah, fifties yeah. sci-fi it could, movie. It could be a made-up title or not. Right. But yeah. Okay. So you hadn't heard like, oh, you got to check out this. Like, I mean, other than for no. me no. for the last seven years of your life, begging <laughs> no. you. Okay. No. Um. Okay. Well. Cool. So, I had seen it before, but I saw it for the first time fairly recently. Um, cause it's hard to find, which we'll get into, um, sort of the status of the film, but I guess, did you, did you like the movie? <laughs> <Either of> you? <laughs> Here, let me say, I did not like it. I liked it. Okay. I did like it. Yes. I liked it. Okay. I would well, say here. I think the, the thing, the best compliment that I could possibly give to this movie is that it's like the, it's so cozy and, uh-huh. um, and I and so cozy, in fact, that I fell asleep. Um, but I mean that as a compliment. And I, when I woke up, I rewound it and watched <laughs> the part that I had missed. Uh-huh. But I was just like so, I was so comfortable and so calm watching this movie. And I was wearing a heat blanket, which probably helped. Yeah. But um, yeah, it put it was just it was just a and it was raining outside and it was Sunday morning. Oh, that sounds and nice. And yeah, it was really nice. So yeah. watching this movie was not there was it was a chore in no way for me. Well, good. Um, yeah. Glad to hear that. Kit, did you enjoy the film? Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I mean, it's not the kind of movie that I would choose to watch, mm-hmm. but it was really pretty the whole time like there was always something interesting visually happening Mm -hmm. and it's got that technicolor thing going for it um and it was interesting because it was funny and silly um but like kind of too good to be the sort of uh it wasn't trash. It wasn't like MST3K trash at all. It wouldn't be like a good movie to necessarily sit and like make fun of and laugh at. Right. Um, like it was 
obviously a B movie, but like top tier. I haven't seen many, but I would say top tier for a beer for a B movie. I would say, okay. and like it's hard to imagine a like higher cinematic quality for a movie like this. Yeah, from this time period. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, well, yeah. so that will take us. Oh, unless Andrew, do you want to go? No. Okay. I was going to say, I think the reason, I think you're right. I think that's a good observation, which I'm the type of person who will watch any 1950s sci-fi movie regardless. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is like a special treat because it's like, it's one of the best. Uh, And it's just, I mean, the design of the film, like you pointed out is incredible. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that uh, this film was directed by William Cameron Menzies, who, uh, well, I'll, I'll go through his career, but he is probably one of the most important people in Hollywood history, possibly cinema history. Um, and so he started off. Uh, so he William Cameron Menzies was a production designer, art director, and director. Uh, he worked from the 1910s through the 1950s with people such as D.W. Griffith, Victor Fleming, Cecil B. DeMille, Rudolph Valentino, Gloria Swanson, John Barrymore, Alfred Hitchcock, Michael Powell, Capra, King Vidor, Sam Wood, James Wong Howe, and more. Uh, so yeah, it would not be an overstatement to say that he pioneered production design and film. Um, one of his earliest kind of most noteworthy movies is the thief of Baghdad. Um, Oh yeah. The, the 1924 one. Uh, he also did first movie to use green screen. Really? Yep. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've never seen that one, but he did. He also contributed to the Michael Powell version from 1940, um, which I've seen parts of, but I haven't watched all the way through. But yeah, just the thing that kept popping up when I was going through all of these movies, many of which I hadn't even heard of, is that they like they all look incredible. And like he's just um, it's kind of like I feel like he kind of I'm sure he pulled from theater and other films and stuff like that. But like it just it set the template for what like various types of fantasy were. So I don't think there's ever been like I've never seen like an Arabian Nights adaptation that doesn't appear to have pulled partially from thief mm-hmm. of Baghdad, or I don't know that I've mm-hmm. seen, you know, cause so he did one in the thirties called things to come, which was based off an HG Wells, uh, story, or I guess I don't even know a story or essay or what, but, um, and it's like, that seems to have laid the groundwork for a lot of science fiction. Um, just because it's, it's different after that, even like in the serials and stuff like that. Um, but anyhow, so at the first Academy Awards, uh, he won best art direction for his work on the dove and tempest. Um, so he won the first Oscar for best art direction. Um, in the early days of sound, he partnered with Joseph Schenck at Fox, uh, to create four experimental films that put famous pieces of classical music to film. Uh, one was the sorcerer's apprentice mm-hmm. and, uh, it appears to have heavily influenced the animated sequence in Fantasia. Uh, and you can actually, you can watch that on YouTube. I checked that out and it was pretty cool. Uh, then kind of the biggest one is in, well, the one before the biggest one in 1938, uh, he worked on the adventures of Tom Sawyer, uh, with David Selznick and his work on that film caught Selznick's attention to the extent that he was then hired to work on gone with the wind in 1939. Uh, so Menzies made detailed sketches for almost every shot in gone with the wind, uh, and gave the film its look, uh, in a memo Selznick told everybody involved in the film that Menzies was the final word on everything related to technicolor, (laughs) scenic design, set decoration, and the overall look of the production. Uh, so Menzies directed the Burning of Atlanta se- uh, sequence, among others, and won an honor- Academy Honorary Award for his work on the film, uh, which they said was outstanding achievement in the use of color for the enhancement of dramatic mood. 
Uh, one of the directors, mm -hmm. so there were multiple directors on Gone with the Wind, but one of them, I guess, did not want uh, Menzies to have an associate director credit. So Selznick invented the production designer title for him. And so that's kind of where the, that term comes from uh, with regard to film. Yeah. Uh, after that, I'm almost done. Just a few more little bullets. Uh, after Gone with the Wind, he worked with Sam Wood, who was one of the directors for Gone with the Wind, uh, on a string of films. Uh, Our Town, The Devil and Miss Jones, King's Row, The Pride of the Yankees, and For Whom the Bell Tolls. Um, and on uh, King's Row, he worked with James Wong Howe, the cinematographer, who I think we've talked about on the show before, but we might have talked about him off the show, but just a revered, you know, cinematographer. Um, and he said that he really enjoyed working with Menzies. Uh, Menzies created the whole look of the film. I simply followed his orders. Sam Wood just directed the actors. He knew nothing about visuals. Uh, or hmm. as Menzies put it, Sam Wood never knew where to put the camera, so I told him. <laughs> um <laughs> Menzies also consulted on It's a Wonderful Life and is said to have reshot the Salvador Dali dream sequence from Spellbound. Um, so I feel like just so far we've hit <laughs> some of the most noteworthy mm -hmm. and important uh, films of all time and uh, scenes from those films. Uh, so then he also directed on his own. He directed several films, um, The Spider from 1931, Shandu the Mag Magician, uh, Things to Come, Address Unknown, The Whip Hand, tonight's film invaders from Mars and a film called the maze, which I saw and did not like at all. It's pretty goofy, but it's very well designed. Um, and he also did a version of the telltale, telltale heart, telltale heart, uh, for television, but I could not find that anywhere, even though I would, I would love to see that if it ever pops mm -hmm. up somewhere. So that's William Cameron Menzies. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like if you I, so I saw Invaders from Mars pretty much not knowing who he was. I would have been familiar with those works, but like, um, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't really know his reputation or things. And I feel like if you watch it knowing who he is, which I did the second time I saw the film, um, it's it's clear that like, uh, I mean, basically what this movie is is this guy who is like one of the best film dudes of all time was given $60,000 a script that he was interested in. And then just with very limited means created this pretty, I think unforgettable science fiction movie that it's a lot like the forgettable science fiction movies, but it just, it looks so good. And mm -hmm. then I think the dream conceit of the story is what makes it, I think it's what would, it sort of excuses all of the B movie weaknesses of it. Um, excuse me, but I feel like also part of what makes it a classic is that, uh, if you saw this as a child, it really touches on very primal childhood fears. Like, you know, mm -hmm. your parents being changed or different and, and mean, and just every other type of authority, like That's being taken over. And I, I think when you listen to like people talk about it, cause there's a lot of like famous directors and filmmakers who talk about this film with such reverence. And I think it's because they saw this on TV when they were, you know, five or eight, and it like, you know, if you can remember what it was like to be like a kid, then this, I think, um, it's just everything that you would be scared to have happen. Like, uh, you know, but anyway, so, so that's my, I, I didn't totally understand the ending. Okay. So it, I understood that there was, some, it was, it, it was, he was having a dream. So that's like, he was, but it was sort of not, but it was also kind of not a dream. Like he was having some sort of like communion with the 
the floating <laughs> head thing, and then, and then in, I, I, it's like he's, or was it like a flash forward? Like he saw the future, basically, and because it ends where the UFO is entering the ground, right? right? Yeah. So basically, he's he is, which is cool. So am I right though? He's seeing everything that is going to happen. Well, I think so. Within the text, that the way I would read it is that he's had this dream, but it turns out to have been a premonition. And now, what what he dreamt is actually going to happen, as we saw the as, as he wakes up and then sees the saucer, you know, land into the ground. But but is it is it is it supposed to be some sort of like I don't know, like some sort of like telepathic link, or is it is it supposed to be magic? I yeah. I don't, I would, I don't know. I don't. I'm just. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make it better or worse. I do think it's kind of interesting to have like such a like kind of huge sci-fi idea uh, in a movie like this. The idea of like, you know it just feels like very um, you know like a, a, a hinting at a much richer like mythos than the movie would suggest. It's just right. Like so. I don't know. I'm. I'm just. I guess that's what I'm asking. Is like what what the intent is here but yeah I, I guess maybe you answered it well so i can tell you so that's how i would read it just from watching the movie but i can also okay. tell you that the reason that the ending is like that is that uh <laughs> the producer uh, Ed, edward alperson he and it's funny to think about this but like so this would have been 53 this really was like right at the beginning of kind of what we think of as like the 50 sci-fi movies like especially like the alien movies like 1953 it was this uh, War of the Worlds and um, I think like it came from outer space or something. So it mm. wasn't like well-worn territory yet, uh, but there was Roswell and there was kind of the the media or, you know, the pop culture phenomenon of that. But sure. um, anyhow, so Alperson, he felt that the film was just way too fantastical or fantastic or whatever, just too out there. And so he wanted the dream ending to establish that it was all a dream and that, okay. you know, so it's it's just funny to think of like somebody who would have been, I mean, a film producer, no less, who would have been like, ah, this is this is a bunch of crazy loony stuff. You know, we got to put this on the end. And I guess that was enough to satisfy him that. Well, I I that's what I suspected about the ending was that it was like a similar to like the bad seed, which is my example of that, that I always bring up uh-huh. where it's like this is <laughs> this is too weird or this is too scary. So let's make it all have been a dream. Right. Um, so people won't like come to the studio with pitchforks or whatever. Right. But the e- to me, the ending, what the movie becomes because of that ending is like a thousand times scarier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like the idea, because I sort of read it as, I think the idea that it was like a premonition is interesting and that it has something to do with like the super evolved version of mankind that the kid meets. But to me, it was saying something like, that the aliens are capable of just saying, okay, well that didn't work. Let's do it again. Right. <laughs> like, like they're oh, stuck yeah. in this kind of groundhog day. Yeah. Reality. Um, that, you know, you think that like, especially because one, one thing that struck me about the movie that seems sort of counter to what the alien genre became. Um, I think even in those sci-fi movies, like in those old sci-fi movies, is that 
he pretty easily finds people who believe what he's talking about. Yeah. Like the whole military is just like, oh yeah, that's definitely what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, and everyone bands together and there's kind of like an optimism about, um, which I'm sure has to do with like the cold war and all this stuff. <laughs> but there's like, a, 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 it's like an inspiring um, vision of what people could do to like defend their way of life from an invader um and everyone's kind of like listening to him and trying to help him unless they've been taken over by these aliens um and then the ending it's like and none of that matters (laughs) like that's kind of how i read it and it it that was like uh made of very like you know silly movie much much more unsettling right (laughs) that is very interesting uh and i do think that like yeah, if that was a if if the request was to make it uh, more palatable, then yeah, that would then it doesn't make sense to have the to show the the UFO in the last couple of shots again, like like that's so strange to like to establish that it's a dream and then subvert that. Um, yeah. But I do think I thought it was cool. I thought it was a really really cool ending. So and, and yeah, if it if it had just been a dream and nothing else then i think that would have really ruined the movie so it's yeah. like it's kind of interesting to me how yeah we... i was bummed when i thought it was maybe just going to be a dream but although one... i was suspicious the whole time because like with that ending when he when he wakes up i was like the movie felt too smart to do that i think but the di- yeah but the difference the difference is one shot and uh, a g whiz right you know <laughs> yeah. and it, it says g whiz at the beginning too i know I mean, i'm just saying would... like that's that, yeah. Oh, that makes it even yeah. more of a time loop. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, well, one more thing with the ending with regard to the production. So like a full year after this movie wrapped uh, and it had already come out in the United States, but they wanted to uh, release it internationally. And so Alperson actually hired back. He hired a different director, but he hired back the actors who which at that point, you know, the main boy would have been almost a full year older. But he hired them back for he extended the scene when they're in the observatory and the scientist is just explaining the ludicrous, you know, plot to them. <laughs> um, so he oh, extended yeah. that and they changed the ending. They lopped off the it was all a dream part and they had to just be his parents come in, which I have not watched the UK version. Um, I've just again, it's it's not something people have talked, you know, uh, fondly of. But but there is a version out there where they chop off that bit. His parents come into the room and say, hey, it was just all a dream, buddy. You're fine. Everything's going to be, you know, like you're safe. And then it's the end. Um, So, yes, which I've just I've never watched that one. But that's part of what has complicated this film's kind of uh, journey through time where it's like this film still has no high definition release. Uh, The rights of the film are kind of nebulous. Uh, There is a film collector who's actually here in Kansas City who has some some of the rights, if, uh, some kind of the rights, but he's talked about because of the scenes that they added in, uh, that there's not, I think, like a, uh, an, I don't know if it's an interpositive or there's there's not like the original negative for the end scene. Um, oh, damn, so, that sucks. Yeah, so if you were trying to do an HD like restoration, you'd have less to work with than you would otherwise. And then, it's also it's uh, the coloring process is uh, super Cinecolor, which is different than Technicolor. And I tried to read about it, but I just I don't really understand those things. Um, 
But that also complicates like, what is this really supposed to look like uh, is kind of, um, you know, in terms of restoring it, that's kind of another thing that's difficult. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, I guess we're, you were just talking about the ending. I think that the ending we get is really cool because like you both have really cool interpretations mm-hmm. of it, uh, that are pretty different. Like, uh, Kit's kind of got the, the aliens are able to loop it. And then, you know, you've got the, uh, premonition kind of interpretation and yeah. It, it just felt, I think ahead of its time in terms of, cause like the watching this movie, nothing about it felt, uh, a year older or a year younger than being, you know, 1953. Mm. So, but until, until I got to the ending and then it's like, well, this gives me a lot more to think about than I would expect from this movie. So. Yeah. Well, I like it too. Cause like a kid in 1953 or 1960 or 70 or whatever, like everybody knows the wizard of Oz, which has the, it was all a dream ending. Mm-hmm. And so this like takes the, it was all a dream ending and then makes it like, no, it was, you know, it's kind of like when the hand rises out of the grave at, the end of Carrie or yeah. horror films. Like it's got that sure. kind of stinger to it, but you don't expect that in a kid's movie. Um, so yeah. So I like that about it as well, but, but yeah, so I got, I've got more notes on cast and crew. If we want to get into that, it's kind of just the production history. Um, is that yeah. boring? Are no, you sure? it's not boring. It's, okay. I mean, it's, there's, there's not like, it's it's hard to go for me I guess to go like super deep into this movie. I mean the biggest thing that I came away with was just the way I think about films in like a historical context. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking about how like there are some movies that you know like um a matter of life and death or whatever. You know, it's like yes, that feels of its time but it's also very timeless. Um and you could watch, I mean, there's, it's easy. I don't know. So then I feel like this movie feels very much of its time. It doesn't feel timeless to me, but Mm -hmm. then what makes it so cozy and good is that it is so firmly of its time. Um, I don't know. It just, I think you could show this like, like what kind of what I meant when I was like, I can't imagine like a higher quality version of this kind of movie like this is the thing where if somebody thought that like 50s sci-fi was just like stupid you would be like why don't you watch this well you know i don't know i don't i'm i i would disagree with that person but i wouldn't blame them for saying that i mean this is it if if i if i compare it to anything that's come out in the last most things that have come out in the last 20 years this movie looks stupid uh I mean, you've got... I, I guess I don't agree. But you... I, I mean, it, I understand, but just, like, anybody can watch this movie and see that, like, 15% of the shots are just reused over and over again. The All the military stuff, mm-hmm. except for what takes place in front of a tiny pile of sand, is stock footage. Yes. Um, the military stuff was very... Um, boring. Yeah. It's, it sticks <laughs> out. And I, mean, and, I mean, so much of the action takes place at the end of a footpath. Um, so, I mean, I, I think you have what to be... What a footpath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think you have to be um, a real cold-hearted son of a bitch to, like, go after this movie. But at the same time, like, it's, it's, it's not difficult for somebody with today's sensibilities to watch this and think it's stupid. Yeah. Um, I guess, but I feel like it doesn't have... I mean, in part, 
possibly to the like this might be more widely watched if it were worse if it were stupider and you know funnier but I think I also think I'm someone who thinks a lot of sci-fi <laughs> a lot of sci-fi movies that people really like like from the you know from contemporary sci-fi I am someone who will watch them and be like this is dumb <laughs> you know <laughs> like so in a way I think it's like maybe the sci-fi of a particular time is it's not the sci-fi with, with a f- it's not the mm-hmm. science fiction aspect that is dumb I mean, and I'm using, I'll use dumb in quotations because I, I don't think it's dumb. I get that they made it for, what'd you say, $60,000 in 1953? Yeah. Like, duh, of course it looks like this. Um, but I think there's a difference between uh, dudes in green face paint uh, and, you know, some cool prosthetic made 10 years ago or whatever. It- I think the, I think that, however, that the, the way in which this movie is made is an is an aesthetic of its own like that to me is what i appreciate about it is that's what i believe a lot of these movies are doing is like you're saying they're reusing footage they're using stock footage they're doing all of these tricks that they sort of have to do because they're on a budget or in times because the director's incompetent or whatever um the case may be it's the actors in this movie are like fine but not good <laughs> also not cinema good is so new right i mean uh yes. like birth of a nation came out 40 years before this well and yeah sci- you know science fiction at least as we know it today is like even they're inventing it in a way mm-hmm. but i think to me the 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 fact that they're using stock footage is like a thing to appreciate about the movie in a way because what they're a what he, the fact that he's able to create a consistent vision like a very like holistic consistent tone and story you with such like handicaps like out of this kind of assemblage of material like that i think especially the kind of art i'm interested in like even in like non-film genres, like I sort of maybe feel an appreciation for that almost more than I would like a James Cameron with an unlimited budget, like create, you know, creating the ability to, with the ability to do anything that it's, there's a, such a charm to the fact that, wow, they had nothing and they made something so yeah. <laughs> so cool. Well, like, I also... like that they only have that footpath, but like they designed the shit out yeah. of it to make it as like freaky <laughs> and eye catching and memorable as it could possibly be. All like seven, eight, nine times they showed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like the when the when the dad goes out and I'm like what's going to happen here? And then he goes behind that tree. I watched that back like five times. It's incredible. Yeah. I, it's, I love it so much. And then later when the cop is just like, 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 like it was, it was really cool. And obviously so simple. All the guy had to do was stop walking or, you know, or go behind a mat or whatever he did. And, but it was like, that is a more haunting image to me. 
than like anything in I don't know, Alien Covenant, whatever. <laughs> it's just it's it's just very interesting like looking at some of these things that they're doing in the, and like they're doing things that like I do in my job like all the time. There there are mm-hmm. there are there have been so many times where I've had a shot that isn't uh long enough or I need it to do something different. So uh if I need it to be longer, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just take it and I will duplicate it, put it on the end of the it's uh, the first version and then just reverse it so it like just and if it's a subtle enough movement you can it just mm-hmm. be it works and mm-hmm. then there are other times where you know I a shot just doesn't work like going forwards so you just make it go backwards and then it does work um, so it's very it's we- very cool to see like very very basic ideas here that uh, that people are still definitely using we, you know, we do the musical equivalent of that all the time mm-hmm. where the things that I love the most that we've made are like almost always based on <laughs> a <laughs> insurmountable obstacle, <laughs> like a place that our skills could not like somebody better than us would be able to just like, oh, I'll just play that better or I'll, you know, sing that better or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like. You know, that's where putting the abyss, audio clips from the abyss in the middle of like one of our songs comes from just like, I can't sing that. So we'll just we'll have to just completely (laughs) like we just got to make this work and it makes it its own um, thing. Like, I think it's interesting for something to like simultaneously speak to like profound limitations as well as um, like... (laughs) You know, I mean, there's something even like aligned with the content of the movie that like this, like (laughs) we should not be able to defeat these aliens. And maybe we actually didn't, but it sure looks like (sighs) we did it. There's also it seems like we did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you've got, you know, uh, you've got shots of, you know, a a huge military. But the reality is, is you've got got six dudes in costume on a pile of sand. (laughs) Um, Mm hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you. I think those things are noticeable. Um, but uh, I do also think that, like, some you know, the like you were talking about, you know, the dudes go, you know, people going into the sand holes or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's so. It's so because you would. I mean, obviously, we could show that now, so you would never need to shoot something like that. But it is really, and in fact, I think if you saw that in a movie now, it, we would call it bad. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me because it's so, it's just like the most basic Mm -hmm. juxtaposition. It's, it's the dude in the bowl of soup, you know, he's got the neutral face and then as he's got a bowl of soup next to him, he's hungry. If he's looking at a casket, then he's mourning, Mm -hmm. but his face doesn't change. And it's sort of just like, it's the same thing. It's, you gotta, you got a a sand hole here and then you got a dude who's (laughs) just like dropping out of the frame and so that means he went into the hole and then on the other side of that you reverse the clip and the hole's filling with sand and so now the hole is closing up and he's swallowed so i don't know it's it's very and honestly i think because because you wouldn't see that now it's like i think you're i i could be wrong but if to me it felt like the first time they used that effect i had to think about it for like an extra two or three seconds because it 
was almost like too much of a stretch for my brain just because the way thing movies have been made, you know, for the right. last however many decades, you just you don't need to you don't need to use uh, editing that way. I mean, you do, but, uh, you know, not you don't have to stretch it so far, I think, you know, mm. you'd be able to see the dude going in the hole. So I don't know. It was it was cool. It was cool to see like the the absolute fundamentals of you know filmmaking and, and editing and, and image juxtaposition um, used in a you know like a high concept sort of way. I think our brains though are still that simple at the core. Like I don't like we are not like I think we we definitely change and adapt to technology. But we don't keep up with technology. No, no way. And like when I think when I think about like I don't think we'll ever I think this planet will be extinct before we really get beyond the basic like peekaboo mechanism of like a person just disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> like and you know, when I think about like what are you know, scary um images from the last few years and the thing that comes to like one of the things that first popped into my head was like uh the haunting of hill house the haunting of Bly manor where it's just we've talked about this before where it's just like there's a a, a guy in the background of this that is like nothing special <laughs> that's mm -hmm. just i mean i don't know if they composited those things in there or what but it's a, at its core it's just a guy standing in the dark like where nothing is supposed to be mm -hmm. um and that's sort of like, I think, also relying in a similar way on our expectation for films um, is that, well, if something's not center frame or not lit, like then it's not worth my <laughs> attention. And whereas, you know, this does as well, you know, the um, if someone's like walking across the screen, like they shouldn't just we expect them to keep walking and disappear into the right into the horizon, <laughs> right. not just like go away. Um, and like I said, we're, we were the same. I had to watch it back a couple of times and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, even though obviously I'm watching that knowing like something's going to happen to this guy, <laughs> like he's not coming back from this. But this the simple way in which he disappears, like, is not any less magical now to me than it probably was you know when the greeks were doing similar shit like in plays and stuff <laughs> like it's still just i think like, i think you, tricks my baby brain yeah i think i think i think that's hard to term to determine because you and me all of us we appreciate these if i show this to some friggin' tiktok zoomer <laughs> they are not gonna say what you just said they're not. I wonder. They're not. They're just not. It's. Uh, but you look at the stuff that they are impressed by. Right. <laughs> yeah, actually, that I, might be I that agree, might be more I to Kit's point. <laughs> this would be a real. I know this would be an interesting experiment yeah. if there's some way to prove it because like they're sitting around watching people, like I don't know, slick their hair back and stick their tongues out, right. and they're like, "This is cool," <laughs> and I want to watch this all day. So I don't know. Yeah. No. <laughs> While we're on the note of, I guess a side side note for TikTok, from what I can tell, all of the ones I've seen where it's people dancing, it's mostly mm -hmm. arm movements, and it, it shocks me that somebody who's 15 years old would spend time watching other people move their arms. 
So that could be a. I know. I don't. Well, it's arm dancing because they can't show their whole bodies and like the orientation of the. Right. But like, frame, I understand right? they've got their limitations, <laughs> but like, why am I watching that? Like, <laughs> that's the, well, that's the thing. I don't, I really don't want to sound like an old lady, but, um, uh, it, I mean, Denise, Denise could explain it. Denise could she explain could. the appeal of yeah. TikTok. Somehow, yeah. TikTok. I don't get it either. Although I will say that like the few times I've been on TikTok, I have found it very easy to just like swipe onto the next thing and then, right. By the time I get to each, at the end of each video, I'm just like, why the, f- this is so fucking stupid. Why am I watching this? And then yeah. just immediately onto the next thing. Um, I've never, huh. I've never been on TikTok, but I, first of all, they are definitely creating new genres. Sure. Like, like, and things that are very obviously extending beyond youth culture to like middle aged culture because like I'm even encountering it, you know, mm-hmm. of like, different different formats for writing different um like the whole pov thing which is absolutely fascinating um i'm concerned about like (laughs) what ideas of acting how acting will change in the future because like lip syncing to other people acting is considered acting now um (laughs) like huh you know, but it, it is interesting to see like they they certainly like new new formats and genres are like being invented. Oh yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure. Uh, they're just they're all baffling to me, right? Personally, no, yeah, and that's <laughs> I actually was I was talking with Sarah about it the other day. It, to me, it's like it's like they're develop. It's like you know, it's like female comedy. It's like it's become like a venue for like a, a specific type of thing that like. I see and I say, oh, women find that funny. I, I don't find that particularly funny. It's like, and I'm not even saying this in a mean way. I, this is both of what I, the things I just said probably sound <laughs> bad. But like what I mean is that like, and I'm sure that there's also boys using TikTok and they're developing oh, kind yes. of their language yes. of humor and stuff. I don't see that. Oh, yeah. So I see like, it's like, it's like the same in the, in the way that memes probably change humor for people our age and maybe a little younger where rather than so like there was kind of the observational style of humor and then memes kind of wrote on that but it became more here is the template for your joke yes you spin it in however you want and so i feel like it's like it's a continuation of meme humor um and then the ones i see are all like this is something that a woman would find funny or a girl girl give me an example please. yeah i'm very curious what you mean by this (sighs) oh it's more so i've always noticed that uh like uh, oftentimes female humorists oh my gosh. will uh, and just, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm not, I'm really not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. The, the oftentimes they'll do like silly voices or uh, okay. like accents and stuff like that. Um, and so I find it's like, Wait, but how is that unique to female? Sure. Humor? No. Okay. So I guess let me put it this way. I, I sometimes see something like, and I'd be like, so sometimes you'll see something that's funny and you'll be like, I'll share that with my mom. I'll share that with Sarah or, or I'll share that with Andrew or, or I'll share that with Kit. And so it's like, there's nothing about being a female that means that they're going to love it. But there's like a general idea of what females often tend to find funny, certain types. Stop saying females. <sighs> yeah, this is not, I don't. <laughs> Women. Well, can you get you have be- you got to give an example? You, but I, b- I believe you, but stop saying female. <laughs> okay, 
I'm just curious. I'm curious. I don't. I don't actually know. I still don't know what you. I understand that what you're saying is a person is going to like. For instance, today I saw a video about the uh, uh, the composer of the Terminator soundtrack, and I watched mm. it and I thought it was cool. I didn't send it to Denise, my wife, because yeah. I know she doesn't give a shit. I sent right. it to you guys. Um, mm-hmm. So, but. W- so I or um, you know there might be something that I see that I send to my grandmother or whatever. So I get what you're saying there. I just I don't understand. You have you have not explained female humor yet. So well, and that's it's it's not something that I could. I'm like, not trying to get you to like dig a hole here. Sure, no, no, done, no. You, you're already there. But um, no, I, I just don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, I think I think you're misunderstanding it. So like. Okay. It's not quite so first of all it's going to it's like obscenity. I know it when I see it. I don't know that I could tell you like mm-hmm. here are the parameters of what I'm saying is like female humor. And saying it's female humor that's way too general. But like or women humor, sorry kid. The uh <laughs> the uh think of it more in terms so you're saying like you shared that link with me and Kit. Mm-hmm. So that's because you know who we are and what interests we have as individuals. Yes. Um, which, by the way, I was at work, so I haven't had a chance to watch that yet, but I'll check it out. You friggin' jerk. I know. Um, <laughs> the Think of it more like, like there's a joke that you would say to me that you wouldn't say to Denise or to Kit or to uh, Brandon or to, you know? Yeah, so like, of course. So I'm talking more of like, so like when I'm, actually, this would be better. Um, so Because that's all individuals. But like when you're at work, I don't know if you're funny at work. But like Hell there's yeah, yeah. probably a type of humor that you would use at work in a group setting that mm-hmm. you wouldn't yes. like. The, okay. it, if you said that to me and Kit, we'd both be like, OK, that was cheesy or, you know, like we might not think it was as funny. <laughs> so that's more what I'm talking about in terms of like types of humor. So these are all general things. There's nothing about a person's genitalia that requires them to find a certain thing funny or behave a certain way or anything like that. I'm not trying to to say that the mm-hmm. more what I'm saying is like the ones that she shares with me. They all have the same kind of rhythm and to some extent subject matter um, that in my mind is developing as like that's what that type of what kind of subject matter is it is it like daily is it self-deprecating no okay is it okay is it like little tiny observations of Wednesday. And I will say like my experience of TikTok, which basically is filtered through like YouTube comment, like three YouTube commentators that I watch <laughs> to me, what all of what all of TikTok seems to be other than dancing. Well, no, this includes dancing is fuck boys like entirely. Yes, it's, it is. Boys anywhere from the age of like 14 to like 25 looking what I think like I think they're supposed to be K-pop guys yeah (laughs) seems to be a major influence and they're um trying in a variety of ways to show how pretty they are and seduce women um seduce girls which in a way it's like that's an interesting reversal (laughs) Mm -hmm. of the last you know i don't know 70 years um so kit for the listeners at home where this goes tell us what is a fuck boy (laughs) Oh, gosh, I don't know if I can define it. I just I guess I think of it. um, It's a guy who licks his lips a lot on 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 
on TikTok? It's huh. it's almost it's like an it's like an overly a, a person it's like a a dude who like overly sexualizes themselves. Yeah. And in a in a very feminine but it's a boy who straight. acts like an Instagram thought or something. Yeah, there it is. Okay. It's oh, funny because like I'm only two years older than you and then maybe three than Andrew. Two and, to twenty. Um, right, yeah. But I think that's I think, Andrew's older than me, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know. No, my yeah. Your birthday's two months before mine. Oh, I thought you were Oh, 80. I thought you were eighty seven. Oh, are you eighty seven? I'm eighty eight. Okay, I'm eighty eight. I'm eighty six. Okay. okay. Anyways, my point was that this is all so foreign to me. Also, I have no social well, media. Well, but see, it's so foreign I... to me, too. We are filtering. Right. Like I said, I've never been on TikTok. Right. I'm coming at this already from like an anthropological remove where I'm watching other people discover it for me. And they, too, are baffled by it. Right. So it's like I'm watching a bunch of 25 to 30 year olds talk about what 15 to 25 year olds are doing and then reporting it. And then I'm 30 and reporting it to a 40 year old man. Yeah. So <laughs> it's quite a, it's quite a, a filter to bring it back around, though, what a fuckboy like invaders from Mars, which is kind of how we originally got here. No. OK. I don't think fuckboys watch any content longer than how long is a TikTok? 30 seconds? 30 seconds. Yeah. yeah a minute. Like yeah. Do they cap a TikTok? Is that is there a limit? I think so. Yeah. OK. Um, well, it's I guess uh, if there's one thing that this discussion has given me, it is clarity over the title of the book, Invaders Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good title for like a book that was about, like, I don't know, Mike's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a compliment. Um, I, I understand it was just an insult, but you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't, um, I don't know how we got here. I don't. know We were what talking any of this... about the fundamentals of film language, of, of, of visual <laughs> yes. communication. Right, and then I made a comment about TikTok, TikTok. is going to yeah. change that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I will now talk about the cast and crew of the film. <laughs> um, All right. So, writer John Tucker Battle was a producer in Orson Welles' Mercury Theater, uh, and with his wife Rosemary, handled the production of Welles' Live Magic Show. Uh, they were both interested in science fiction and the fantastic and often sat on their porch watching the stars. Uh, Rosemary said that they wondered what would happen if a spaceship landed and aliens started living underground in the hills. And that's where the idea for this film started. Um, the protagonist was inspired by their nephew who lived with them and spent a lot of time on their telescope out by their pool. Uh, and then also when Rosemary was a kid, she had a dream where she went to her mother for help, but her mother wasn't her mother. Uh, and that had stuck with mm. her. And so they rolled that into uh, the script and, or I guess the story. Um, and then they took it to producers. Uh, and then I guess those producers took it to Edward Alperson, who was an ex Disney sales executive turned poverty row uh, producer, which poverty row was just like B movies back in the, back in the fifties. Um, and then he gave the script. He didn't, he, I guess he felt like it was too out there or something. Uh, probably also from the sound of the, the original script, it was probably not going to be on there, the budget that he would be able to do. So he took it to Richard Blake, who is the credited screenwriter. And uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, OK, so he tightened up the screenplay and changed it to fit the smaller budget. Um, that screenplay then found its way to Menzies through the produ through um, producers. And he mm -hmm. signed on to direct. He was interested in it right away. 
Um, he's Menzies studied, uh, both versions of the script and made thumbnail sketches to design the production. Uh, he kept the sets simple to fit the budget and to create the dreamlike feel, uh, and eventually had 12 notebooks of sketches that they were going to use. Um, and then, yeah, we talked about how the dream ending came from pressure from Alperson to make the picture less fantastic. Uh, that's actually why John Tucker battle and possibly, I think his, I don't know if his wife was credited or not, or if it was just his script, uh, quote unquote, um, but battle was not pleased. Uh, but he was, this was already like two years after they had sold the script. And so he, he was, wanted it to just end with the kid waking up. Apparently. Yeah. I, I, I think damn. he didn't like the, uh, or actually I don't, I think the dream invention was not in his script. So he might've just wanted it to end with like, well, oh, we just defeated like the, aliens. them defeating it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah, sure though. I didn't get to actually look at any of the drafts. But uh, he, he at that point, he asked they take his name off the film uh, and then him and Rosemary refused to ever see the movie. Um, That's really funny. Like, look, I would be proud as fuck if I right. made this movie, <laughs> I know. but it's still like a weird thing to be like, <laughs> I'm taking my name off this sci fi B movie yeah. <laughs> that costs sixty thousand dollars because it doesn't live up to my vision. Yeah. Well, and I, I think Battle, he like wrote very a Orson few... Welles. Yeah, true. Uh, he wrote <laughs> a few of like Disney's live action movies. Um I can't remember. You know that one of the guys in this movie, one of the military guys, is the voice of the prince in Cinderella. I did not know that. Which I thought was very interesting until I tried to find a clip of the prince talking because he's not the singing voice. I could not find (laughs) anywhere on YouTube (laughs) Prince Charming speaking words. (laughs) Um, The oh so. Uh, the day before shooting, Menzies' detailed sketchbooks were lost, which kind of threw the production into chaos. So he had a hard time. He, I mean, they were already on a low budget. They So he had an extra hard time not having his sketches to go off of. And apparently this is before everything was like storyboarded. Uh, like, I just mean in terms of like film history, this is before things were storyboarded, um, especially low budget productions, I think. Um, but for a production designer turned director like Menzies, I'm sure that would have been like basically like losing your script but isn't that crazy like that's can you like can you imagine losing a notebook and having your entire job like i know be be in turmoil from that that's yeah i mean i just yeah it's so hard to relate i mean i guess like i could compare that to like well no everything's stored in the cloud it doesn't matter anything i lose is replaceable yeah i know and i even thought like didn't they have a copy machine but maybe they just (laughs) didn't you know i don't know when did xerox start that was around in the 60s but i don't know about Anyways, it would have sucked. They would just have like a, didn't they just have like a room full of women like tracing <laughs> everything? You would think so. That's what, before, <laughs> before we had machines for everything, you just had a room full of women. <laughs> for like literally anything you needed, yeah. a room full of women. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, all those speaking dames. Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of rooms full of women, um, <laughs> I was watching this going like, wow, this is so much like Leave It to Beaver, uh, except with aliens. And then totally. Barbara Billingsley was playing the, the receptionist uh, at Griffith Observatory, which is not supposed to be Griffith Observatory, right. which is insane. They show it so much, and it's so obviously <laughs> Griffith Observatory. <laughs> that was funny. Um. So we are, and we already talked about the, um, the UK release. Uh, but the final little note I had was, um, the so the battles, uh, John and Rosemary they had included their phone number in the script as the phone number for the, for the observatory. And it actually made it into the film. And so then every time the film played on TV, <laughs> a bunch of people would call them. 
so not only had they refused to see the movie and had taken their name off of it, they got <laughs> tormented every single time it aired on television. So, that was funny. Hmm. But, oh, okay. So then on to other notes that, and I, I know that that's basically, it's like I'm reading uh, Wikipedia to you, so I apologize. But uh, one other, one thought I had while watching this film that I hadn't thought of before is that it's funny to think of this film that as it was directed by somebody who was born in the 1890s. Like that just kind of like yeah. threw me a little. It's <laughs> He died like seven years after this yeah. came out. Yeah. It, yeah. It sounded pretty bad. Actually, his daughter was one of the things I read. His daughter was talking about it. Had He had cancer and it sounded like it was bad cancer as opposed to the good cancer mm-hmm. that you want to get. I but. dreamed that Andrew hit me with a car last night. I just what remember. the really? fuck, man. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> we, we, were some, we were like parked on the side of a road and it was like five of our friends' cars like parked mm-hmm. and you were like coming down in like a black SUV and it mm. seemed like you were a little bit out of control, but then somebody opened their like <laughs> car door and you like hit it and that made you like lose control and it was just like this pile up and I was in the front mm. and I wasn't like hospital hurt, but like my foot was fucked up and like I hit my chin and stuff and you felt really bad. I will. S- yeah. I like someone really opened their door. I will say that I do live my entire life a little bit out of control. So I do think <laughs> there, there, this is not an impossible thing you've dreamt. No. <laughs> but yeah, that's Mike. Uh, you were not there. We'll get <laughs> I would never have let Andrew do that to you. <laughs> I have lots of notes, not lots, but I have like little stragglers. Yeah, some, yeah, go for it. Sorry. I feel like I've been talking the whole time. So, Well, no, say more if you have more of your. Oh, I've got more. Beats. This is a okay, good episode. I'll go my little stragglers There's... real quick. I agree. We're hitting all kinds of things. Um, I thought it was really funny when he said gee whiz in reaction to a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like a coda to the film yeah. uh, again. Um, yeah, the sets were freaking amazing. Like even when. When. When they're down in, because like I thought every everything like in the town looked awesome. All of the like municipal buildings looked awesome. The shot of like the scientist who was like the dad of the girl, like where it's like it was such a weird shot of like down a hallway. But then I don't know if it's like the depth of field thing that makes everything that makes this deep hallway look like it's vertical, basically. Yeah. Um. And then when he like moved from behind one desk to in front of another, I'm like, whoa! I, like I didn't even realize that it's it was really cool. Yeah. Um. All good. And then when they went down underground, like the set, this even like of course like the fucking alien costumes look horrible, like mm-hmm. inexplicably horrible. Because the guy in the bubble looked pretty cool. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, that looked cool. Um. And, like, the effect was worked where they were to go from, like, carrying him to, like, showing him up close or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the the a- other alien guys are just, like, in kids' pajamas or whatever. They, like, with their, like, sa- saggy butts and everything. <laughs> like, it just, like, <laughs> I could, like, see the zipper on these costumes. Yeah. That's so shitty. They're really But bad. then the environment they're in, like, it's simple. It's plain, but, like, effective with that, like, kind of greenish-looking... Mm-hmm see-through plastic stuff like yeah this is it was really cool um sets were great um score is amazing mike do you have it no i could not find it that it's i don't think it's even available anywhere i want to listen like first of all the voices are just like it was fucking scary as hell and then the way that it ends over the over the credits is actually beautiful i was like i can play this at christmas i did read something (laughs) Um, about how like them using the like score as like a, a a sound effect how 
like in the perceptible to the movie's characters was kind of like a revolutionary thing. Hmm. I was thinking when I watched, it, I was mm-hmm. like, "Holy shit!" It, it became diegetic. Like I didn't realize yeah. at yeah. the time that yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like the sound of the aliens. It was super cool, mm-hmm. um, and I would love to listen to that. Um, uh, Helena Carter, which I assume is why Helena Bonham Carter has to go by Helena <laughs> Bonham Carter. Um, is a really, really pretty, pretty lady. And can you believe she's American? <laughs> she's doing some kind of like Audrey Hepburn, like weird Ingmar Bergman kind of accent, but she is like completely American. Huh. Um, I was another kind of like breaking the fourth wall moment. Uh, the aliens know that a camera's there. That was very interesting. Oh, where she kind of like winks at one... the camera? Yeah, yeah. Well, especially the thing that made it even weirder is when. Because they've been doing that with like the little girl, just like, st- but you know, you can believe that she's like staring at him, right. not at the camera. The mom is the first one where it's like, she's definitely looking at the camera. And then when they cut to the wider shot, she's still looking off like toward the camera. Like they forgot, I don't know. <laughs> it was, that was very bizarre. Um, I loved how that one guy, the worst actor in it, I thought was like the kind of pipe smoking boyfriend scientist guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and where he, it was the funniest thing in this movie to me was where his only example of something amazing is an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> like he says it like twice in one minute where he's like, well, people said that about the airplane. <laughs> like, and then later he's like, hey, that's what they thought about the airplane or whatever. It's very funny. Um, I liked the dialogue exchange. Well, if they had, well, it's where the, the colonel or somebody is like, you tell me, doctor, how... How do you think they could have gotten this spaceship underground? And the doctor and the scientist guy is like, "Well, if they had some sort of ray." Yeah. And the boy immediately goes, "Like an X-ray?" And the mm-hmm. scientist goes, "Uh-huh, <laughs> some radioactive ray that could eat through the earth." And that's it. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> huh. Um. Let's see, uh, Mike. You should change your name to Sergeant Funston. <laughs> uh, um. I thought it was a really cool idea to use like that backward footage for the aliens. Yeah. Um. If only they didn't look like such shit. Can I just can I can I offer a counterpoint to calling yeah. Mike Sergeant Funston? <laughs> sure. We were at a wedding once, and uh, the everybody had eaten. The reception was going. People were starting to like dance and drink and have fun. And I and Mike was off by himself, and I was getting up to leave him. And I was like, Mike, come on, the fun's starting. And Mike goes, I hate it when the fun starts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an ironic nickname. Okay. <clears throat> I, I bet the I bet Sergeant Funston. Because you put Sergeant on there. That's true. Right. You got a good he point. could be controlling the fun, capping the fun. All right. Fair um, enough. My last note is <laughs> so that end, that end uh, montage looked really cool, but it really did go on for a long time and show you the whole movie again. And when you think about that, this thing is only 78 minutes yeah. to begin with. It's like <laughs> they must have really been struggling. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, I don't remember which article it was, but something I read said that the the original cut was like way too short to have been a feature. I mean, like it could have been a feature, but it was like they're like, they're like this won't be able. We're not gonna be able to sell this as like a B movie, uh, you know. So they put in a ton of like military B roll, yes, and and reran some footage backwards. Ten minute, yeah. <laughs> montage of the same movie yeah okay you can definitely see that they're padding it with stock footage and i do wonder if like they just set that camera up at like the overlooking that hill oh uh-huh. and then just i may mean, must have just went through and just shot every single scene because so much of the movie is from that one yeah. wide shot right a lot of it yeah 
It's really crazy. It's it's in kind of insane to think about. <laughs> yeah, that so much of that of this movie takes place from a, a camera on a tripod that never moves. Yeah. Well, then it's not like there's, because then even when they're closer to the like sand pit area, mm-hmm. those shots all are the same too. I think. <laughs> yeah, like, like they swapped. It's out not the, the lens. same wide, but it's like basically the same angle of like people. And you mm-hmm. know, like, oh, they're pretty close to the holes, but they're not that close. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Totally. And that's a ton of the movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the maybe the set wasn't. Maybe you couldn't get multiple angles. You know. Oh, I'm sure that's. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, did you have notes, Andrew? Did you have more? Um, no, not really. I have one okay. note, and it was mostly just like a thing that I thought was funny. Like most of the like. Anything that was like silly in this movie, I didn't really call out except when there's the cave in and the tunnel and they're like, well, we got to dig ourselves out. And there's like, I don't know, torso sized boulders and yeah. they just start they start they start <laughs> lifting them with shovels. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> just the insanity of that of that of working that way. Yeah, it was really funny to me. See, Yeah. And I think there's like there's a lot of bad dialogue. There's a lot of just kind of preposterous plotting and like mm-hmm. story. Uh, there's things like that. There are zippers on the back of the mutants uh, costumes. Um, but I almost feel like the by having it be and I don't even think this was intentional. Like from what I read about the production of the movie, this was just kind of a happy accident. But the dream makes that all like, well, if this is all being pulled from the you yeah. know, sleeping mind of this child. Yeah. OK. You know, like that's why I, the I police see, department I see is why 10 it's feet something tall. that that high school students fall back on so much. Yeah. Because it really does cover a multitude of. Sins. Yeah. Do you yeah. think do, do you think you <laughs> I just wonder if you're if you're pulling that from your 2020 eyes, like do 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 you think audiences needed some something no. like that in 1953 like do you think no. anybody was like no, no. noticing the okay I'm, i don't think i'm so saying either. that i mean I'm, I'm sure some people in the audience were like ah oh, this is just a silly picture for kids although the reviews at the time were pretty positive um, i think people used to look at those like alien guys with their like visible zippers and their saggy butts and be <laughs> like and like they might have to leave the theater <laughs> not so i mean kids yes <laughs> But but uh, I think I think it's it's like when you go to a play, you don't really think like, you know, yeah. about sure. the makeup. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think you kind of just but suspended. shit in a play does look better than that. <laughs> no, well, yeah, no, but you know what I mean? Like you kind of just like, yeah, it's in yeah, there or right. like in a, in a movie where you see the strings. You're like, well, yes, I'm watching a film. So this I OK. It just I just wish. It's, a you know, guys, don't show your alien. Just don't ever show it yeah. unless it's going to look like the xenomorph. Yeah. Don't show your alien. I don't know. I think which the, I know you can never you can never know if it's gonna look like the xenomorph until you just do it. Right. They also don't, don't show the alien. xenomorph until the last like two shots of the movie. So. But yeah. like, but it is. I don't know. I I think you need like you you also you need to have your alien be because the xenomorph isn't even like I mean the xenomorph is just like petroleum jelly on a th- condom rubber th- yeah thing. So the effective thing about the xenomorph, I would say is that they had like a nightmarish sex fiend like <laughs> design it and yeah. like it looks you know so that and this guy could have designed a cool alien i'm sure the the production designer of gone with the wind could have invented a cool alien i think the sure. one in the 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 glass dome, that one's cool that one's yeah, cool, looks great yeah. that one's cool but the other ones are supposed to be like some kind of mutant 
that they've like invented to. It looks like they did a bad job inventing it. Yeah, sure. No, yeah, 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 sure. It made those aliens less threatening because I'm like, that's what they. (laughs) Yeah, they look like big teddy bears (laughs) with weird eyes, like teddy bears with pink eye. Like they got the big swollen eyes. You couldn't even really see. I felt like I couldn't even really see them. They basically looked like people like they didn't look. Yeah. I guess they must have hired like tall people because they were kind of well. Big. That actually, I've got a note on that. Oh, tell me. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the mutants was played by Max Palmer, an eight foot six, six inch tall man who regularly appeared in circuses as the tallest man in the world. Oh, so there you go. I didn't realize they were tall until all those military guys were jumping on him, and I was like, I got, that was a big dude." I got a note on that as well. In scenes without Palmer, uh, midgets were dressed up as soldiers, and the mutants were normal-sized people. So, ah, or, that's what was happening. Yeah. I th- and th- I thought that those, honestly, I was like, <laughs> those soldiers are puny all of a sudden. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and it goes pretty quick. And then quick. he throws one of them. But, uh, yeah. He, that, stuff, <laughs> that stuff looked really good, I thought. Like, throwing yeah. the dudes... Uh, when, yeah, when, I was not. I was not sure if he was throwing a real dude or a dummy because it was I'm scar- like, well, it, in the fifties, they could have just thrown a dude, probably. Yeah. It was ki- that was kind of <laughs> scary, scary to me. Or like when he, when the one grabs the soldier and then just like drops him down a, a yeah. the well or whatever, like that. That was kind of scary looking. Pretty good. Hmm. Um. A few other little notes I've got here. Um. So uh, Luce Potter was a little person who was also from a circus like Max Palmer. She's actually the one that played the Martian in the glass bowl. They just put the makeup on her and had her kind of sit in there um, and then okay, filmed her I looking around. I thought that was a girl. Yeah. And then I they mean, kept saying, "What's who's he? Well, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, the, the, the person playing it, the creature, whatever, alien, uh, was a woman. But I mean, you can't like I watched it again after I saw that. I was like, oh, I guess it was a lady. And like, I mean, she's so covered in makeup that's like it could but totally I, be either. And yet. And yet, and yet, it's all in the cheekbones. Like, I was like, "Oh, it's a woman," and then they kept calling her he, and I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> they were misgendering Somehow. the Martian intelligence. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we got here. I got some random notes. Uh, so, if you want to see a good example of what Super Cinecolor might have looked like uh, that has been restored and everything, uh, a good example is a film called Gog, G O G, which is a 3D film uh, from 1954. Uh, I have not seen it, but it does like I looked around on Blu-ray.com because it shows like screen grabs from Blu-rays. And so like there was this there was a like kind of like a naval film with Sterling Hayden in it. I think it was called Flat Top. And that was just regular Cinecolor. But it just has like it just it looks different than Technicolor. It looks different than Deluxe. But I don't know how to describe it because I just don't have the training and the vocabulary for that. But uh, but it's cool. So I don't know if you're interested. Um, The budget of sixty thousand dollars is about half a million dollars in today's money. Uh, And I couldn't find like a box office tally, but they said that it did above average business wherever it did play. So it was fairly popular. But then it really became kind of a thing after it started airing on TV. Um, Jim Hunt, who is the child actor, the, the David plays David. He had been in Cheaper by the Dozen and like 30 other films. And then after this, he retired from acting. Um, and I think all he came back for was uh, he cameoed in the remake, the 1986 Toby Hooper remake of this. Uh, he played one of the police officers. And I, I actually I watched that a few weeks ago when I watched this again. And he plays one of the police officers and he goes up. So they've got the hill in the backyard the same way as in this one. And mm-hmm. he's, he says something. He's like, hmm, I haven't been up this way since I was a kid. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, it's sort of a. Oh, God. I forgot what I was going to say right as I opened my mouth. Sorry. Keep going. Oh, you're okay. Um, The. Oh, the entrance gate for the military base. Uh, Like when his parents go in to kill the scientist, 
Um, yes. That is actually the main gate of Republic Pictures, uh, which was, you know, one of the B-movie uh, studios. Um, do, do. I thought that that shot, that was the shot that was like intercut with the scientist lab shot. And they both had the same, I don't know, that same weird like depth of field thing where everything where everything looked very like vertical yeah. and it just was very and there's just the car like right in the front of the frame it looked really cool yeah i remember I know, I think... what i was gonna say oh okay okay well there's an i don't i can't remember her name but one of the actresses in this movie also retired from acting after making this movie oh okay the... like she had she had only been like cast as love interest and so this was like against type and then she immediately quit acting huh interesting that's all I got. I guess this film did it for a lot of people. <laughs> that was it was enough. You know, yeah. it was like, well, yeah. I've done it once you've been in a film that looks this good. Um, mm-hmm. But it does I mean, look good. We, we I know we've I feel like I've kind of harped on a little bit. I know yeah. we harped on the saggy bottom boys, um, <laughs> but but it is pretty like there's there, oh, yeah. there are very. And I know I made kind of was like talking about like the, the not moving a camera for 40 percent of your movie. But that shot of the hill is very nice. Yeah. I would love to have that when framed. The- yeah. When the uh, I know that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I could, I could have that in my house. Or like, I loved mm-hmm. as soon as the fucking first title card came up, I was like, this looks great. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I'm gonna like this. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, I think that this like. So like, I watched a lot of mystery science theater when I was a kid, and I basically came to like 50s and 60s science fiction movies and horror movies and a number of things like through mystery science theater. And I feel like this is one kind of like this Island earth, which is what mystery science theater, like the movie, that's the film that they watch for that. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is one where you would watch it and you could certainly, you could riff off of it. You could make fun of costumes or dialogue and things like that. And you would be totally right. But I think you would eventually you'd be like, wait, this movie looks incredible. Like this is like, it's, it looks like a comic book. It looks like, you know, like, like clearly there's a lot of talent in this movie. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's, I think that's part of why I like it because it feels kind of like a win for like an underdog. Like, even though like mm-hmm. it has tremendous, you know, Hollywood talent. Um, yeah. And it's, I think Kit was kind of talking on it too. And I, I didn't want to jump in, but like part of what's fun about slasher movies, part of what's fun about like 50 sci fi, part of what's fun about whatever genre, superhero movies, you have your toolbox. Like, you've got your elements that you're going to use. And so it's fun to watch how people put them together. And it's really fun even if it's not like a citizen cane, like it stands out above all films. It's like, it's really fun when something in that toolbox or or uses those elements to like make something that's just outstanding in its like, uh, in its genre or it's, it's little corner. Totally. I agree with you 100% or uses or uses the lack of, uh, budget and, uh, you know, digital effects to their, to their advantage, you know, like, I mean, I think, I think, um, or, or to bend the genre like uh, Blair Witch Project or Paranormal yeah. Activity, like just doing things that absolutely look like they were made for the amount of money that they had, but are so inventive that it's absolutely compelling. One yeah. of the probably the greatest film going experience. I don't even know. I don't even think I need a probably. I think the most fun I've ever had at a movie was watching Indiana Jones, the remake, which um, mm-hmm. is a, a group of kids who, from the time they were, I don't know, like 11 to 17 or something, like slowly did a shot-for-shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, it might be called Raiders of the Lost Ark the remake. I don't know. Um, but, and what, and yes, it's it's hilarious because they're falling so short of what they're trying to do. Right. 
But I would say the greater pleasure in that movie is the crazy lengths that they go to and the extent to which they actually pull off what they're trying to achieve. Like they actually set themselves on fire right. Like, right. To, to remake the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and they truly had nothing. Right. <laughs> no, no ability, no training, no money, nothing, just like their own garages um, and a lack of supervision. <laughs> and that, there is, I, I don't know, obviously, like, I can acknowledge, like, a masterpiece like 2001 or Lawrence of Arabia or whatever, and it's great. That's awesome. I'm glad that exists. Or Gone with the Wind. Um, I do love Gone with the Wind. But I do think there's, like, a scrappiness to a lot of the movies that, like, I most love. Yeah. I also think there... And I don't know if this actually speaks to, um, or maybe it's. I'm. Let me, let me give me a second here. Because I do think we are willing to make concessions on movies like this, right? Like we expect. I don't want to say we expect less, but it's like if a big if a big movie that has two hundred million dollars to make their point falls short in some way, we're gonna come yes. down way harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like some of my like, I'm just thinking about one of my favorite movies of the last decade is Insidious, and if I were to look at that movie in in if that movie had been made for a hundred million dollars, then I would say it is the pace is all over the place. It is wonky. It bogs itself down in a ton of needless mythos. Um, it's too long. Some of it looks like shit. Uh, it relies on like hacky jump scares a little too much but because it's made for a million and a half dollars and a dude who was risking his entire career it is one of the most ambitious movies i've ever seen and uh, the fact that it made so much money it was such a big hit it made i mean it insidious is the reason we got period mm-hmm. seven and the reason we got aquaman it is the reason that james wan made like a huge comeback like yeah. james wan made saw and then he made a bunch of shitty movies and he was on his way out and then he made this he made ins- anyway all that to say there's there's something about that that adds to the movie itself mm-hmm. and my dog is barking and that is awesome um <laughs> he's cheering so, but on. i don't but i don't know if that has anything to i'm tr- what i'm debating is like does that have anything to do with the the text on screen, the the art itself, and and I don't know. I, I think don't know it does if, somehow. Maybe, but it, maybe it and maybe it also just ties into you know us personally as you know people who appreciate the medium on yeah, a on a level that maybe think, casual don't viewers shit. don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because I was thinking like when you were thinking of you know if it costs a hundred million dollars like that to me goes like I think of like Rise of Skywalker which costs like more more than that mm-hmm. but like you see. The behind the scenes, the amount of like, like we watched that whole documentary about them, the making of it, which was fascinating. And like that, it's like the same amount of talent and craftsmanship for I have no doubt went into Rise of Skywalker as went into the original Star Wars. Like so much of that shit. There were times where they built shit entirely practically and then just replaced it with CG. (laughs) Yeah, in the movie when and then you see like like that big snake thing it's like it looked amazing i don't know why they replaced it but whatever but the people incredible amazing people like worked on that movie and they had amazing 
like artifacts and things. I really think it comes down to maybe this is biased of me. I think it comes down to story. Like this movie we all enjoyed. Uh, and I think though, even though it looks great and I enjoy just like sitting in the aesthetic of it for a while, certainly the fact that it has a story that is simple that I can follow that kind of like you're saying, Mike, like calls back to certain sort of like primal experiences that I think a lot of children share and then has a pretty cool and unsettling ending to it. Yeah. yeah. Like that is what makes it worth recommending to another person. I think, I think if it just looked great, but was nonsensical shit. Yeah. I don't think I would recommend somebody else watch it. Um, and like, no matter how, how many great visuals like, you know, Rise of Skywalker occasionally has, which by the way, yes, it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, <laughs> no matter how many amazing visuals that film has and no matter how, how, uh, and here's the thing. The reason I love Rise of Skywalker in part in, in spite of it being a fully incompetent studio made picture from a story perspective it's still because of story. Like the reason I love, <laughs> I love the story that gets told about one particular thing that you can focus on. If you like squint out like the rest <laughs> of the fucking movie, I love that. That makes it worth watching. And then there's like some cool shit happening around all that. Um, some great costumes, some great like sets and things like that. I mean, um, I think that ties into just like, I mean that, that is such a universal thing for movies in general. I think where mm -hmm. you, you can make a good or a bad movie um, and people will, you can still, there's somebody who's going to enjoy it for some reason. Like there, we watched, we watched a couple of years ago, we watched Grown Ups, and Kit and I hated it because it was awful, <laughs> but Mike liked it because it had a cozy camp <laughs> dad. I don't know. He liked it for some reason. But I still think <laughs> I still think that's different from like why Mike likes this movie. And I don't think he likes. I pray to God he doesn't no, he like likes Grown Ups it. as much that's, as he likes this. That is history now. No, I thought Grown Ups <laughs> I think was, like, was fine. Like, I, yeah, no, you liked it. Like in, Insidious, yeah. Insidious too. Like I'm assuming Insidious is obviously not a movie I'm ever going to watch, but it obviously had a very satisfying story as well kind that, of you know yeah launch well it launched a bunch of <laughs> that's true it does have like three sequels and stuff but m i yeah. think it mostly has three sequels because they made it for a million and a half dollars and it at that yeah. point in time was per its budget the highest grossing movie of all time that's why they got you know that's so cool yeah it's fucking awesome you know really i remember cool. this is this is neither here nor there when i saw insidious i saw it with a girl from work and um, I jumped at one point. I think it was the dining room table scene. Mm -hmm. And I jumped and she looked over at me and laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> what happens at the dining room table? Uh, it's not really a jump scare, but it's like, I think if I remember, he like, there's like a demon that kind of like slides out from behind this guy. Oh, yeah, talking. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen and that. And I jumped. I think that was the part where I jumped. Maybe that's just the part oh, I remember from the behind movie. behind the head. Behind the, yes. Yeah. I don't like kind of yeah, that's a great that's great. Yeah. And so I jumped. But and she wasn't like laughing in a mean way. She just she was just laughing at me. And that and that don't you not, she was probably scared too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and that's not, the fun of not, horror movies, yeah. And not to go too deep into Insidious, but like that movie, 
like this movie in some ways, I think is, or maybe more like Alien, but it's like, if you, I bet you, if we were to look at that demon face thing, because that's just a dude in face paint with some horns yeah. glued on his head. Right. Um, If we were to actually look at that in the full light of day, it would look stupid as hell. But like right. they never, most of what you see is you see, a, a you know, the side of its face or you see its hooves at one point, I think, or its mm -hmm. hands at one point, but you never actually see the thing. Yeah. Um, I think I think in horror movies, that's why I'm that's I, maybe why I'm so against like showing the alien and showing the monsters, because it's so rare. I feel like, an, you know, another aspect of like why we like things is that they connect somehow to some like unconscious dream logic or some truth that like we've been unable to to like actually articulate consciously but like is there nevertheless mm -hmm. which like i think is true for me of like rise of skywalker i think i think even the design of that demon face th has within it like centuries of human history <laughs> that like speak to something that a lot of people are afraid of or have some kind of connection to like no matter even if it just is a guy in face paint the way that it, it looks like a lot of stuff <laughs> like, yeah yeah i think i think you're usually i think for the most part you're right um you know you you want to withhold something from the audience i will say that there there are there are definitely exceptions to that you know we've talked about the xenomorph a little bit and i think one of the greatest switcheroos in movie history is you know going from not showing the xenomorph in alien to showing the xenomorph in aliens and having that mm -hmm. it's scary in a very different way yeah but there are moments in that movie that are horrifying you know newt down in the sewer thing where the the alien comes up behind her and it's like yeah seeing it is what makes it scary it's yeah. not not seeing it it's, <laughs> yeah. it's going Bro, from not seeing and it to seeing it and then there's you know when they put their head up into the into the vent space and there's like 40 of those fucking things coming out like <laughs> That's an amazing moment, and it is I think it, in full display. I think that also has to do with some of the. It's like embedded within that cre like creature design is like what maybe the most like it's arguably certainly in a top ten list of like the best creature designs ever. Yeah, and it incorporates so many things that are unsettling to us, like skeletons, um, slime, penises, <laughs> like all. <laughs> Like all like I remember when I when I was a kid, the scariest monster to me is one that they do show fully. And it was truly like I had just like repeated nightmares about this. And it was in the I've probably told you guys about this. It was in like the TV movie of like the miniseries of Alice in Wonderland um, that had like Carol Channing in it. Um, or I think it was Alice Through the Looking Glass. And the Jabberwocky in that. Yeah. Like there's a part where she's have she's having like a birthday party in some mansion and she takes she's like unwrapping presents and she takes the top off this box and the Jabberwocky comes out of the present. <laughs> and like I have looked it looks a lot like the Xenomorph because it's like black and shiny, but it's like, you know, trash bags on sticks, basically. <laughs> but it's you fully like you full you do see it. Yeah, um, you probably don't. I don't know if you get like a wide of it standing there. Maybe you do. But like that's a monster that like they reveal that like s scared the living shit out of me. I just think, I think it's, that is so much harder to pull off than not showing it that I kind of think most people would be wise to lean 
on to err on the side of showing you less. Absolutely. But uh, showing you less is one thing, but it's also like part of the game with the audience and with the genre is you have to show it eventually. Like if 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 there's a movie where they just totally don't show it, it has to be either really a good movie or you feel kind of cheated. Like you feel like they kind of like took the coward's way out. I agree. And but you got to be careful how much you show because you can spoil it. Like I agree. I agree with what you're saying for the most part. Yeah. to, To to go back to Alien, I think the worst shot in the entire movie is the shot of the alien on full display hanging outside the spaceship. Yeah. At the same time, I think it is one of the most important shots because that is the point in which it's rendered inert. And we need that moment of satisfaction. Yeah. The movie is building towards it. Even if it kind of sucks, it's a very important shot. Like you need that release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I do. <laughs> then the movie's not over. The movie but, doesn't, the movie doesn't really end then. That would be I a fun know. triple feature. I don't think I need. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. movies like, where but like Clover, they don't show you the monster. Cloverfield. Did we ever need to see? Right. In what? Would that movie be in Cloverfield? Would that movie, wouldn't that movie be better if we never saw how that dumb fucking monster looks? But that movie was and bad. On, that movie was bad for other reasons than just showing was, the monster. It, it was scary. It was scaring me. At least as a theatrical experience, it was scaring me until we got a wide shot of what that dumbass thing looked like. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because, I mean, enough. you know, like if whatever you're imagining in your head is scarier. And so that's where that's where like how much do you show would come into play, I think, for the filmmaker. But but anyhow, um, I didn't really have any more notes, uh, but thank you. Oh, do we have time for a cruise minute or you want to skip it? Absolutely. No, no, let's do it. OK, we never skip cruise minute. OK, yeah. I, I don't have a thing for the cruise minute. But I will just read my final note that I didn't read, which okay. uh, Invaders okay. from Mars appears to have influ- influenced uh, Don Coscarelli. Uh, Brad Bird, Larry Cohen, Steven Spielberg, Joe Dante, and many more filmmakers who uh, have said that they were fans of it when they were younger. That's not about so. that's not about Tom Cruise. But maybe Tom Cruise saw the film. I would love to know his thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my cruise minute was. Thank you. That was really great, dude. Good job. <laughs> um, mine is uh, that uh, Justin Bieber is at it again. He is uh, teasing Tom Cruise. He wants to friggin' fight the dude. <laughs> He posted a picture of him looking in like like he's in good shape, but it's like not like famous person good shape. It's uh-huh. like kind of normal dude good shape. And then it just says uh, Tom Cruise's toast. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> it's kind of it's actually kind of funny. Yeah, because it's like I if I thought more of if I thought more of Justin Bieber, I would think this dude's this dude's got a sense of humor. But I don't think that's the case. <laughs> yeah. I think he might. I think in that particular case, yeah. I don't know, dude. That sounds like a that sounds like a joke to me. That does sound. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a. I, I don't know. I didn't see the post, but from the sound of it, it sounds like he's teasing them. But uh, you don't tease the cruise, though. Kit, did you have one? <clears throat> um, I would watch Tom Cruise in a remake of this. Could be pretty cool. Which character would you cast him mm-hmm. as? The child, the little boy. <laughs> the the boy does the, a lot of running. You know. Mm-hmm. There's there's a loose cruise connection. So he starred in a remake of War of the Worlds and the, yeah, the George Powell War of the too. Worlds came out in 1953, just right after Invaders from Mars. So maybe he has seen that's this. another another movie where they show the monster and I lose what waning interest I already had in the film. Yeah. <laughs> Can we find a way to incorporate the term loose cl- loose cruise into other loose cruise. things? Yeah. Sure. Loose cruise, loose cruise connection. I like it. Loose cruise. The loose, loose cruise. that's it right there. 
But what does it mean? It's like the I six don't know degrees of Kevin Bacon, loose? but it's cruise. Okay. Anyways, Andrew's got to get going. I got to pee. I'm sleepy. I got to eat. Kit, I don't know. You could probably stay here all night. You probably got nothing cool to do. But uh, I'm going to go back to work. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> um, well, thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Please join us next week for what I'm sure will be a very different conversation for <laughs> 1982's Night Beast. But Mike. What? What are we What are we going to talk about next week? I just said. <laughs> uh, thank you, Andrew. I almost forgot to mention it. We will be watching 1982's Night Beast. Um but, uh, but yeah, that is a movie that, so this is a very, you know, Invaders from Mars was a very low budget film that just somehow achieved it through, through all of the constraints, uh, it achieved greatness. Night Beast, like I said, is a very different oh, film. God. So, uh, slow motion triple feature was recorded in an abandoned Martian tunnel underneath Muncie, Indiana. Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you would like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. Thank <laughs> you.